Acts chapter 18. And I'd like to read verses 18 through the end of the chapter. We'll read these words and then I'll say one more prayer. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencre because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in their synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would put courage into our hearts. When it comes to thoughts of tomorrow, our plans for the future, I pray this morning that you would eliminate fear. That you would bring us clarity. That you would grant us boldness. And a sense of purpose and direction in the way that we make our plans, both individually and collectively. And we say with honest and open hearts, God, if there's any way in which we are making our plans apart from you or away from you, would you draw us back to yourself this morning? Spirit of God, minister to these people that you dearly love. I pray that you would help me to teach your word clearly in the way that honors your truth and your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. If there was one word that I could use to summarize the mood of our current cultural moment, given everything that has happened and is happening, I suppose the word would be uncertainty. We just feel uncertain. 
Some of you feel uncertain about your own future as an individual or as a family. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what your work holds. You, you don't know what your education holds. You, you, you wonder about the future. And then on a broader scale, we wonder what's happening in the nation. What's happening in the nations? We just don't know. And I was struck when I was reading an article about this written by someone who, of course, was, was not a Christian. And, and listen to the way that this man describes what it's like to live in our current cultural moment of uncertainty. He says these words. It's a place where every choice feels like a gamble. Every decision relies on making a prediction about an unpredictable future. To make a plan for a life in such circumstances feels like a fool's wager. Which I find very interesting because we get a completely different message from all the advertisements that we see on a daily and weekly basis. Have you thought about this? On the one hand, you read the news. And then on the other hand, you see all these advertisements every day when you do your shopping. In the advertisements, like, you could do anything. You could perfect yourself. You can seize your own life and you can have perfect skin while you do it. That's like advertising. Go into Rite Aid. It's like, believe in yourself. So the message of advertising is you could do everything. And then you read the news and it's like, we're all going down. <laughs> There's like this contradiction between the two. You could perfect your life and like we're all doomed. There's this tension between the two. But friends, I have good news for us this morning. The Bible tells us that its perspective on the future is absolutely different. It's totally different from what you read in advertising and it is completely different from what you are reading in the news. For the person who trusts in Jesus, for the person who follows Jesus, Everything changes. Let's put it in a statement. Oh, you're clapping already. This is great. We're in. We're in together. Let's put it in a statement. This is true for you if you're a follower of Jesus. It means that you are neither the captain of your own destiny nor a captive to your circumstances. You are on a course with God. Some of you are living as though you were the captain of your own destiny. And I say this with love in my heart. You are not in control. You are not in control. And whatever sense of control that you have, dear brother and sister, it is an illusion. And it is only a matter of time before you realize this. And therefore, some of you this morning, you need that humbling hand of God to remind you that you are not the captain of your own destiny. But on the other hand, many of you feel like you're a captive to your own circumstance. You feel fearful and afraid and, and, and you feel as though you're just caught up in this machine and you can't do anything and, and there's no way forward. And that is also not true. That is also not true. There is a God who is sovereign and there is a God who loves you. And he has a course for your life. And it is my desire for us this morning to think more deeply about what that means and specifically how we make our plans. How should this reality that we have this sovereign God who, who loves us, how should this reality plan and shape the way that I think about my future? And we look, of course, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts records for us, as you know, 
working through this for a long time now. It records for us the birth of the church movement, the the very earliest history of Christianity. And we learn it was a movement of the Holy Spirit. And much of it, I love the book of Acts. Like when I was a new Christian, the book of Acts was one of the first books that that I ever read. I read John because that's like what every new Christian needs to read. Like read John. I was like, great. I read John. And I was like, what do I do next? I turned the page. I guess I'll read the book of Acts because it comes next. And the book of Acts was so like action packed. I'm like, what happens next? And then Paul did this and Paul did that. And then I get to the very end and it was like watching the end of a series on Netflix. I was like, what do I do? Like where's season two? Because it ends with a total cliffhanger. And that's when I learned some preacher told me like, you are season two. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) We're part of the church movement today. This is incredible. So we read in the book of Acts, it reads like a travelogue in many ways. And at times, it is absolutely extraordinary. We read of setbacks and successes. We read about riots and revivals. We read about conflicts and conversions. It's amazing. But there are other times when this early church travel log is surprisingly and shockingly ordinary. Like the passage before us at the end of Acts chapter 18. True story. When I emailed one particular person on staff at Reality Carpinteria, who shall not be named, it was Bo Beckendam, when I asked him (laughs) what my text was for this Sunday, he said, it's Acts 18, 18 through 28, sorry, you get the boring text. (laughs) Our dear Travis then replied, Lord, please forgive Bo for his soft heresy. (laughs) But I would like to declare boldly and gladly brothers and sisters, that I believe all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that includes Acts chapter 18, verse 18 through 28. Are you with me? Okay. Sometimes our instruction does not come in the spectacular, but in the ordinary. And here we are given a simple picture of how Paul and his team made their plans. What does it mean for us? First, when you are making your plans, always consider people. Paul's time in Corinth had come to an end. He had remained there, I believe it was about 16 months. And he sets sail for Syria, no doubt, ready to bring a report back to the church who sent him out. More on that later. Some interesting details are told there. In verse 18, we're told that he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, this isn't as ordinary as like, he got a haircut. A little more meaning than that, no doubt. This was a Nazarite vow, many of the commentators tell us, described in the Old Testament which involved a cutting of the hair and an abstaining from wine. And it was a symbol of offering your life to God. And Paul may very well have done this as a matter of strategy to show his own kinsmen that he was not anti-Jewish. And this certainly would have helped in his mission because he went to the local synagogue in Ephesus in verse 19 where he reasoned with the Jews. 
And what I want you to see and to notice, this is very simple, but it's a vital pattern in Paul's plan making, and it serves as a model for us. When you make your plans, keep people in mind. Of course, obviously, when Paul arrived at his destination, he's seeking out people who are not yet Christians, people who do not yet belong to the church, because he longed that they would. He longed that they might belong to the church, absolutely. But also notice in verse 18, when he traveled, he did not go alone. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Now, I love Priscilla and Aquila. They're like a power couple of the book of Acts. And their names rhyme. I mean, come on. Like, that is amazing. Priscilla and Aquila. Like, you know, I don't know how they would have said it. I think this is phenomenal. Priscilla and her husband Aquila, they met Paul when he came to the city of Corinth. But as you read about their history, it would go to show that the three would prove to become steadfast friends, companions, and co-workers. Here's why I think this is so great. Here we are reminded that the great Paul the Apostle, senior leader in the church, who would end up writing a third of the New Testament. I mean, put that in your resume. Like, oh, I've written a third of the New Testament. No big deal. Pioneer church planter. This man needed what all of us need. Encouragement, fellowship, and support from friends. I don't have a huge theological point to make. Other than this simple fact. You and I, we need community. We need friends. Notice the pattern throughout the book of Acts is not just this private spirituality where you're always alone, kind of dialing into God. You're in a community. God puts you with people. To belong to God is to belong to his people. And within that community, we find the encouragement we need. Friends, I need encouragement. I was reminded of that this week. I need support. I need fellowship. And you need it too. You need it as well. And I say this because it would be very easy to think that the more mature you become, the better trained you are, the more experience you have, the less you would need regarding other people. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Listen, spiritual maturity does not result in needing people less, but loving people more. See, some of, some of us have this idea like, I'm so mature. I go on these prayer retreats to Ojai for like five years. And I just don't talk to humans anymore because I'm just like one with the Father and I just, I don't need any of you. It would be very easy to think that like the more spiritual I become, I'm, I'm, I'm independent of all these people. That is not the case. And some of you are isolating yourselves right now. You're pushing your other people away who are of vital importance in your life. And some of you might be doing it under the banner of, uh, I'm mature, I don't need these people. When in fact, that is the exact opposite of how maturity is defined in the New Testament. 
Maturity, as defined in the New Testament, is you're engaged. You're participating in the life of the community. You're encouraging and receiving encouragement. I mean, take Paul, for example, when he's writing his letter to the Roman church, a letter which many of us know to be one of the the greatest, you know, pieces of theology and explanation of faith ever written. Look at what Paul the Apostle says to the Roman church. Romans 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Isn't that a wonderful picture? I'm Paul the Apostle, he could say, but I need your encouragement. I want to encourage you And I need your encouragement. It is a beautiful picture that though we have a diversity of giftings and positions within the church, we are to stand side by side in our encouragement of one another. It's my charge to you. For those of you distancing yourselves, for whatever reason it might be, the Holy Spirit is calling you back into community. I love these little vignettes in the book of Acts because it shows that that people like Paul They had real relationships. So are you in healthy relationships? Or are you isolating yourself? Are you distancing yourself? Are you pushing other people away? Because this is a huge part of you making your plans. We make our plans while considering people. There are a part of our plans, like if I, if I go and I visit, I want to connect with other people, that, that, that's a part of what God has called us to do. But even as I make my plans, though the Bible is our authority, yes and amen, the community, the church, though not authoritative like the Bible, is absolutely key. We need the counsel and encouragement of other Christians. And in so many ways... I've been so encouraged through my own plan making by the fact that God has placed godly men and women in my life. And yet some of you are not benefiting from that because you've pushed yourself away from it. And the Spirit of God would say, come in. Come back into community. Open up your life to other people. Because the alternative is dangerous. I mean, Scripture clearly says that the fool thinks he's right in his own eyes. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1 says a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise counsel. I.e. don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't do it. God's called you to live in an ecosystem of community. The wise person is aware that even our own sin can blind us. Are you aware of that? Like, I, I'm, I think I have a healthy awareness that my own sin can blind me to things that I'm, I need to see. And so I need other people to help me see what I cannot. Are you inviting other people to speak into your life? Or let me put it another way. Have you given permission to people in this church to speak words of encouragement and comfort into your life? Or are you holding them at arm's length? God would have you open up your life. Invite people in. When you're making your plans, always consider people. But we go a step further. Secondly, when you're making your plans, all the things that you're thinking about your future, 
When you're making those plans, always practice prayer. Here's what I find interesting. What we read about here at the end of Acts chapter 18 is that Paul came to Ephesus. Might not seem like a big deal, but it certainly was if you put yourself in his shoes because just two years earlier, we were told, and you may remember reading it in the book of Acts, Paul wanted to go to Ephesus, but something happened. The Holy Spirit said no. The Holy Spirit said no. It wasn't the right time. For reasons we do not know, it wasn't the right time to go. But now we see him and he is able to go to Ephesus. The door has been opened. And the attitude Paul has regarding his own plans is captured wonderfully in verses 20 through 21. I love this. In verse 20 it says, And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back to you if it is God's will. If you're a highlighter person, anybody a highlighter person in here? Anybody a mechanical pencil person in the room? Oh, yes, I'm with you. A pen, some of you are like, no, I'm committed. Pen, you've got Sharpie. Underline that phrase. Don't blot it out. Underline it. If it is God's will. This phrase summarizes the posture of of Paul's hearts in regards to all of his plans. And it must be so for us. It must be. So what is the right perspective when it comes to our plans? What does his posture teach us? What is the fact that he says, if it is God's will, I will come? What does it teach us? First of all, I think it teaches us this. You and I, we need to accept our limitation, which is hard which is hard for many of us. The Bible certainly does not keep us from making plans. It keeps us from becoming presumptuous. It keeps us from thinking, we know everything that we need to know. I've got it all sorted out. I know how 2019 is going to work out financially, relationally, all these other ways. I think I've got it. When the reality is, you do not. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. You don't. That is a fact. And I think you and I, we need to hear this truth because it does two things. It humbles us and it helps us. The fact that we are limited, that we don't always know how things are going to work out. We don't always know the particulars of God's plan. This truth, first of all, it actually humbles us. So think about it. I want to resonate for a moment with the people in the room who are planners. How many of you are just planners? Like, yeah, I'm with you. You've got everything planned out. Your spouse is probably like, what? What are we doing today? Like, we're going to the beach. I gave you a calendar invite. You never accepted it. Like, (laughs) you could pray about it later. Some of you are like, yes, I knew we were supposed to be here this morning. See, I like plans. Like, I, I want the PDF from heaven. I want God to be like, hey, Tim, 
Hope you're having a great morning. Here's a PDF. Here's everything that's going to happen this year. Um, it's going to be the ups and the downs. I'm like, oh, great to know, guys. Is there any footnotes? Yeah, you're going to have to find a new place to live, um, you know, towards the fourth quarter. But don't worry, we're only in the second quarter. I'm like, great. Okay, cross that bridge when we get there. But as much as I want to know, have you ever stopped and paused and thought about the fact that it might be a good thing that you don't know the future? Can we talk about this? <laughs> Have you ever thought it might be a good thing if you don't know the future? Let me give you two reasons. Two reasons why it's good that you don't know the future. Number one, future success would make you arrogant. Okay, if you just knew that in 2019, you're going to kill it financially, you're going to get a raise above everyone else, you're going to get all this success, you would be the most intolerable person to be around. Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, no, I'm just... Things are looking up because I know it's going to be amazing in 2019. Oh, let, let, me, let, let me buy you lunch because I'm going to make it in 2019. You'd be like Joseph when he had the dreams. Like, I had this weird dream. Like, all my brothers were going to bow to me. Like, you, you would, you know, we would be those people. Future success would make you arrogant. You would be tempted also to be disgruntled about the present. You would miss what God wants to do here and now because you'd be like, it's going to be fine in 2019. We'll still have our home. It'll be fine. You, you may even become slightly spiritually lethargic. Or worse still, you could become lawless. You think, you know what? I'm going to give in to sin. I'm going to make some sinful choices because I know what's going to happen. It's going to be fine. I'm just going to sin so that God's grace may abound. Maybe some of you are there. Some of you right now are in sinful patterns, assuming that all is going to be fine tomorrow. The Spirit says, I'm here to lovingly yet powerfully wake you up. Do not mistake God's silence for his approval on the way in which you're living now if that is you. He wants to wake you up. Future success would make us arrogant, but here's the second thing future suffering would make us despondent. If you knew right now every detail about every difficult thing that would come your way, you'd probably be by, like me, I would just not leave the house. Just like, I'm not doing anything. I just see darkness. Like I just, you know, just want to give up. And some of you might feel like you're there this morning and the word of God comforts you. You do not know. Some of us in our cynicism if you're like me, you're like, no, this is going to happen. And then 8 million bad things are going to flow from this one bad thing. And I just, I know how it's going to happen. And God's like, lovingly, you don't. You're like, I think it's only going to get worse. How do you know? You don't know. I don't know. Yes, it may be hard, but we don't know what's around the corner. There's a strange comfort in not knowing the future. And so how, you know, when it comes to very particular aspects of our lives, we know the future in the sense of what God has promised and what God has planned. I read the book of Revelation. I know how the story ends. Jesus wins. That's how the story ends. And that's where I can take my comfort and that's where you can take yours. But when it comes to the particular plans of our lives, Paul longed to see the men and women of Ephesus again. And we read here his words, if the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will, I will see you. This phrase governs the way that he makes his plans and it's used on many occasions. Consider again 
His letter to the Roman church, a community he had not yet had the chance to visit, but he strongly desired to do so on his way to Spain. Read his plans. Romans 1, verse 10. In my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And then you jump ahead to the end of his letter. Chapter 15, verse 24. He says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through that you will assist me on my journey there. Paul said, I want to go to Rome on my way to Spain. I've got these great plans. I'm going to go through Spain. But here's the twist. If you read Paul's history, we know that he never made it to Spain. And while he did make it to Rome, it was as a prisoner. And yet, in all of these plans, when things didn't work out the way that Paul thought that they might, we see him facing these setbacks with joy and with courage. How? How does he do that? I want that. Do you want that? How can we be like flexible and faithful? Like how, how, I want this. Paul's confidence was not in his plan. It was never in his plan. It was in his God. That's where Paul's confidence in. He knew and trusted that Jesus would work even the bad for good. Some of you have been making very bad decisions, unwise decisions, and right now as we're talking about it, you feel the weight of it. But know this, God is bigger than your mistakes. And he calls you to come to him and to yield to him and to submit to him and to receive that forgiveness and freshness knowing that you can trust him to work even the bad for good. See, Paul models in Acts, explains in Romans what is taught elsewhere in the New Testament. We accept our limitation and we receive God's invitation. God, whatever you will. Because here's the truth. If our lives are contingent upon God, then so should our plans. If the very fact that you have breath in your lungs this morning is an evidence and grace of God that your very existence is contingent on the fact that God is keeping you alive, then how much more should our plans be contingent on whatever God wants? I think the Holy Spirit's just like loosening our fingers a little bit when it comes to our plans and our ideas about the future. See, here's the test. Here's the test. In what manner do you relate to God and your future? Do you give your plans to God in pencil or pen? I usually give my plans to God in pen, sharpie, permanent marker. I'm like, God, here you go. This is my plan. If you could just um, get on that as soon as possible, that would be great. Because I think I have a really good idea of how everything should work out. And you know what happens when you do that? Disappointment. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. I'm just frustrated with the church. I'm frustrated with life. And so much of that bitterness and resentment comes from unmet expectations. Because you gave God your plans in pen. And became discouraged, despondent, or even distant. Because it didn't work out like you wanted. But may I suggest a different strategy. Give your plans to God in pencil. God I think I have this idea about how things should turn out and I I, want to give it to you. 
I want to give it to you. You feel free to erase, add in, and otherwise edit my plans. Friends, that is the posture that Paul had. That's where we can have courage and confidence. Then when you're like Paul and you're like, oh, I want to go to Rome. And yeah, Spain sounds nice. Like the weather's great. Oh, wait, now I'm in prison. Yeah, Paul's like, I think I'll write a letter. Philippians, greatest hits. Amazing. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't love Philippians? (laughs) But friends, Philippians, the joy of Philippians cannot be disconnected from the context of Philippians. He was in jail. And then he's like, Jesus is with me. Do you remember Philippians? Do you remember when Paul's like, hey, I'm in jail. But you know what? It turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm winning. He's like, it turns out I got to share the gospel with people in this place. Paul was flexible because he knew his God was faithful. Give your plans to God in pencil. James chapter 4 is amazing. Who loves James? Nobody gets that excited about James. I say Philippians, you're like, yeah, James. You're like, uh. James is like a stern hug. He says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. Notice here, James is not saying that we shouldn't make plans, but he's condemning our own self-determination. Saying, you're not God, remember that. Acknowledge God in your plans. This is absolutely clear. And yet so often we stray. We stray away from that. Instead of dependence on God, we profess our independence from God. But what we learn from here, the fact that Paul wanted to go into Asia, he was forbidden. Two years later, he ends up going. Apparently, God's answer to prayer was wait. Now, I believe God always answers prayer. Can I get an amen? God always answers prayer. But he doesn't always answer prayer in the way that I want him to answer prayer. Sometimes it's a yes. Don't we love the yes? Sometimes it's a no. And sometimes it's a wait. And for Paul, his desire to go into Asia, it was a wait. It was a wait. But God's timing is perfect. And we need to trust him in that. Am I living in such a way that I recognize the authority of God? Am I living in such a way that I'm wanting to seek his will and I'm okay with what he wants to do in my life? Are we okay with this? I mean, it's truly the only way to live. This should be the posture of our hearts. When you're making your plans, you've got to always consider people. God's called you to community. You always need to practice prayer, giving your plans to God in pencil and not in pen. And thirdly and lastly, when you are making your plans, you must always remember that you have a purpose. God has not called you to be aimless or just make up you know, the, your vocation and what you should do in this life. And we see this again modeled here, not just in Paul, but also amongst his friends. As the narrative moves forward, another departure, and Paul arrives to his home church in the city of Antioch. And this begins a string of visits to different communities. And Luke's language in verse 23 reveals his sense of purpose. What does it say? To strengthen all of the disciples. Now, I love this. Because when I read this passage, I thought, how great is it that this chapter ends one of Paul's missionary journeys right back where it began? 
Because you may remember back in Acts chapter 13, Paul was sent out from Antioch. That was his community. Men and women prayed him out and he went out and he did all this crazy stuff. And then he comes back to his home church and he gives a report. And I love that because here I am. And some of you who are in this room, you were there in 2005. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born then. It was a long time ago. 2005, you were here and you prayed over and sent out me, my wife, Lindsay, and at the time, my little toddler daughter, Lily. Is anyone here? Did that? Yep. Oh. You were there and you prayed for us. And it's been an amazing relationship for me to come back in and like give a report. And then years later, come back in today and say, you're my family. You're my family. We want to give a good report. You guys have invested in us. And here's why I say that. Friends, I know that it may get very discouraging and the busyness and craziness of life. And you read the book of Acts and you might think, oh, this has nothing to do with us. Friends, you are living this stuff. Through your prayers and support and encouragement of mission, both local and global, church planning and broader missions, you guys are doing the stuff. And I felt compelled to just say that to you. You're, you're like our extended family. And we're living this out together. And I love that. And it's with the purpose of encouraging people in their discipleship. That's what our call is. But it doesn't stop there with Paul. People who have come to faith, they need to be strengthened in their faith. So Paul, of course, is evangelizing. We see the examples of that. But we also see the strengthening of disciples. And what is said of Paul is actually modeled in this final section through Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. So when you're making your plans and you're thinking about the future, are you thinking along these lines? I want to invest in people. I want to strengthen them. Your purpose is to grow and to help others do the same. And we can do this by practicing what verse 24 and 25 pictures. How can we do that? Two simple ways. First of all, invest in the ministry of the word. You are called, regardless of the specifics of what neighborhood you live in, what job you have, friends, the will of God for you is to invest in the ministry of the word. Look at verse 24 and 25. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was a learned man, some translations say eloquent speaker, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Now, I like the King James Version. It says he had a mighty knowledge of the scriptures. He was mighty in the scriptures. And I just feel like I have to lift my hands dramatically when I say that. He had been instructed, verse 5, in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew about the baptism of John. There's this unfold, in the unfolding story of the church, we learn about this, this key player, also with a great name, Apollos. Like, I just feel like when you introduce yourself, you have to say it loud. I am Apollos. Like, oh, I'm Tim. <laughs> It's like one syllable, like it doesn't go anywhere. I'm Tim, I feel like a child. He was eloquent, he had a natural speaking ability, but more than that, mighty in scriptures. And what is he doing? What's he investing in? He spoke and taught accurately about Jesus. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. I don't know if you should take this job or leave the other job, but I do know this. Wherever you go, whatever plans you make, remember your purpose is to invest in the ministry of the word. 
It means that you are to grow in the knowledge of the grace of God through the scriptures for your own faith. In fact, when we make our our plans, we go to God's word. God's word is our authority. Look at all the times it says God's will for our lives. God's word governs our lives. We invest in the ministry of the word. And one of the things I love about the legacy of this church is you invest in the ministry of the word. From the first day I got here years ago, it wasn't just Sundays. There was classes and courses and perspectives. I think that's happening soon or starting. Is that, am I right? I clearly don't know anything. I think it's probably, I'm just going to go with it. I think it's happening. I remember all the people investing in that. Friends, you have a legacy of investing in the ministry of the word. And I know that at times it may become very discouraging when you go through the ins and outs and ups and downs of different seasons. But friends, do not grow weary in doing good. You are invested in a good work and you will be shocked when you breathe your last, stand before Jesus and realize the fruit that has come to your account because of the grace of God working through his word in this church. Do not stop. Do not grow weary in doing good. Keep on doing it. Invest. And not just in the ministry of the word, but also in the ministers of the word. That's what I love about Priscilla and Aquila. Again, just fabulous couple. They come along. They hear Apollos. He was very gifted. He was educated, but he still apparently needed some guidance. What he did know, he taught accurately, but he still needed more. We're told in verse 25, he knew only of the baptism of John. This most likely means that he knew of and preached the need for repentance, which, of course, John the Baptist clearly preached. He most likely proclaimed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the promised one of God to rescue humanity. But it could be perhaps that he did not have a full knowledge of the power of the cross, all the implications of the cross, or the meaning and power of the resurrection. We are simply not told other than that he needed further instruction. Who's going to do this? Who will instruct this man? Priscilla and Aquila, like our names rhyme. We love Jesus. We are in. We will do that. And they invited him into their home. Don't you love that? It's so ordinary. Some of you feel like, oh, those other people are super spiritual. I just had friends over for dinner. Friends, that's one of the most spiritual things you can do. Invite other people over for dinner, crack open the Bible, and invest. Invest in those people. Our plans must include this purpose, the conviction that investing in people matters. So many people took time to invest in me. And I know it can be discouraging. And I also know that results may vary. (laughs) Not everybody, I'm going to write a book someday. Results may vary. (laughs) Not everybody will receive that, of course. But it doesn't mean that you should stop that. Never underestimate what can happen when you invest in ministers. And that's how the chapter closes. Look at the fruit. Apollos became a great and effective minister. Due in part to the fact that this married couple in the church, invited him around to their house and taught him the way of God more accurately. So friends, if these things are true, what should we see in the church? People who are devoted to reading scripture, praying for the Spirit's guidance in our plans and coming together in community for wisdom. 
And as we make all of our plans, we say over them all, if the Lord wills. You know, the Methodists had a regular practice that we would do well to learn from. Whenever the Methodists in the early years would sign their letters, which contained their plans and ideas about the future, their thoughts and dreams, they would sign their letters with the phrase, the Latin phrase, Deo Valente, which is a very fancy way of saying God willing. Some of you, if you want a really great email signature, like Deo Valente, <laughs> God willing. But in so many ways, that their postscript should be written over all of our plans. If God wills, I will go to such and such a place. If God wills, I will go to this school. If God wills, I will participate in this particular activity. Now, saying God willing is not some kind of magic formula, like, God, I want the Mercedes Benz. God willing. Yes, I'm getting it. It's not a magic formula. It is a posture of the heart. Saying, God, you know better than I do. And your will is best for my life. It's the posture of a heart that is set upon God. Saying this assumes a life dependent on God. Are you? Are you dependent on God this morning? See, some of you, you know what's holding you back is the fear of risk. You're like, I know what I should do. I know I should go up and pray for these people, invest in that ministry, keep on going with this ministry, or maybe I need a new season in this. But some of you, you're so risk-averse. And I just want to say two things to you. Number one, there's no such thing as a risk-free life, period. But when you look at who Jesus is and what he's called you to, the risk is worth it. The risk is worth it. And I just think the Spirit of God wants to break the chains of fear around your heart. How have you been making your plans? Are you willing to take your plans and bring them to Scripture? Are you willing to have your plans changed by the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to change your plans even now? The most incredible pattern for this in all of Scripture for me is Jesus Christ himself. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours from the cross. And what does he do? He expresses his desire and he surrenders his desire as the perfectly obedient son of God. Today, you and I, we can express our desires. Prayer is not about suppressing your need, but expressing them to a God who cares. You say, God, I want to do this. But then you surrender. Express surrender. I surrender them to God. Whatever your will is. God, I know that I don't know everything that I need to know about the future. And God may not always give exactly what we ask for. Instead, he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. That's how he answers our prayer. And Jesus sets not only this model for us, but brings about a victory for us. When in anguish, he expresses as our representative, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then there's that perfect surrender. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And because of that, he died in our place. And you know what that means for us? The cross means forgiveness for all of our bad plans. You might feel the burden of that right now. Like, I'm just, my whole life is a bad plan. You know what? Right now, you can know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Right now, you can know the newness of life, the weight lifted, the burden lifted. If you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. And some of you say, I know I should risk, but I, I just don't know. How am I going to feel safe in his hands? You take your plan. You're like, oh, I don't, how, is it, how do I know if it's going to be safe? 
Friends, the answer is obvious. You're going to be safe because he laid down his life for you. You can trust that his will is good. Our plans can change because our God never changes. I'm not certain about tomorrow. I'm going to rest my certainty on the goodness of God. And so I say this to us all. Life is short. Tomorrow is not promised to you. Confess your sin to Jesus. Express your dependence on Jesus and receive from him what his will is for you. Father, I pray right now that your spirit would loosen the grip that we have around our own ideas and our own plans about our lives. And I pray that as you do, that you would show us this is the way of freedom. This is what you want for us, men and women living as children, dependent on the Heavenly Father. A Father who loves us. A Father who gave His Son to die for us. Thank you, God, this morning that we can know that you do work all things for good according to your glorious purpose. We look at the cross and we see that. It's okay if our plans change because we know that you will not change. And so we trust in you. Father, if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know you, has not yet believed on Jesus Christ, I pray that right now they would. That they would say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. Forgive me for all my bad plans. Thank you that you have a good plan that you've purchased for me through Jesus Christ. May they believe right now and be saved. In your name, amen.